This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Japan. On the first, you'll see why you should live life to the fullest and dance like nobody's watching, or like a bunch of demons are watching. On the second, you'll see why your new pet might just have a nicer house than you. The creature this week is either a malicious vampire or a sad cow, both of which want to eat you. This is Myths and Legends, episode 214. Take your lumps. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. So, like I said at the top of the episode, we're back in Japanese folklore. There is not a lot to go into for this episode. It's set in Japan sometime in the Middle Ages. That's all you really need to know. With this first story, we'll jump in with a sad woodcutter whose night just went from bad to deadly. The old man shivered in the hollow tree. The rain had stopped an hour ago, but he couldn't leave now. The air outside the tree reeked of wine and echoed with laughter. Lights shined through the cracks, projecting on the opposite side of the inside of the tree. When the old man first heard the shouting and the laughing, he feared the worst. And by the time he thought to move, he didn't dare leave the tree, because all around him were oni, demons, red, blue, green, gray, some were cyclopes, others had no mouth. Some were small and darted around, their razor teeth catching and killing mice. Others lumbered into the clearing, holding the remains of a traveler they had caught on the way there. They shared their meat and drink. Before they had kindled the fire, the old man had shut himself up in the tree, but they set up the party around him. Now, he had nowhere to go. He was trapped not doubting in the least that when, not if, he was discovered, he would be their next meal. The old man had grown up in the village, not far from where he was now trapped. He had met his wife there, gotten married there, and buried his parents there. It was there that he first felt the lump. He was a young man, just starting out in the world, when, on the right side of his face, he felt it growing. Now, of course, nothing is wrong with someone having something different on their face, but the young man didn't see it that way. He became self-conscious. The ambitious, boisterous go-getter was quieted. The young girl he loved still loved him, despite his perceived shortcomings, and they were still married. But... As the lump grew from the size of an apricot to an apple to, finally, a grapefruit, the now middle-aged man found that he didn't want to be near people. He took up the career of a woodcutter so he could bask in the long, solitary hours in the woods where no one could see him. And that was how he ended up surrounded by vicious, increasingly more inebriated Oni. The air was thick with the smell of wine now. The conversations had gone from speech to harsh and guttural barks and laughs. It was then that one Oni yelled out that, hey, could they put on some music? One overly pedantic demon, 
replied that this was medieval Japan and the phrase didn't actually mean anything. But they could play some music. Hmm? The rest of the Oni looked at the one who was smugly taking a victory sip, ate him, and then yelled for someone to put on some music. The strings started up. The drums, too. Soon, there were shouts of all the demon bros just rocking out together at their pop-up party in the woods. Inside the tree, with the woodcutter, something was changing. The old man had stopped trembling. He held his axe. The last several minutes had given him time to think. He had lived his entire life in fear. Fear of what people thought of him. Fear that he wasn't good enough for his wife, his family. Fear of letting anyone see him as he truly was. He had lived that way, but he wouldn't die that way. He would die as he should have lived, fearless. The old man took a deep breath, on the count of three. One, two. The tree in the center of the party exploded, and when the dust cleared, there was a human standing in the middle, axe in hand. He raised the axe and threw it back toward the tree where it lodged in the wood. Hands empty, he pointed to the makeshift house band, drew his cap down, and nodded. The Oni were confused, and they remained confused, but the band, not knowing what else to do, shrugged and started playing. When they did, the demons witnessed a sight. The old man's hips started gyrating. He started pointing and clapping. His feet started moving. He was kind of killing it. The demons cheered. This old guy was hilarious and kind of really good in a dad dance sort of way. Despite the demons dancing up to the old man over the course of several hours, asking him who he was and where he learned those moves, the old man just kept dancing. He was letting out years of frustration right there on the dance floor. He didn't care about his face. He didn't care that he could have been eaten at any moment. He just wanted to dance it out. And he did. At the end of the night, when the first streaks of light started to paint the horizon above the trees, the old man sat panting, guzzling some wine with his new Oni friends. They slapped him on the back. Dude, bro, dude. That was epic. He had to come back next week. Robe soaked through with sweat. The woodcutter assured the Oni that, oh yeah, he'd be back. He wouldn't, of course. They were demons, and they were just as likely to eat him as party with him, especially when they weren't completely loaded and coming off an epic dance party. He knew that he was probably safe tonight. They couldn't stand the sunlight in today's story, and they were all about him after his performance. But this would be the last time they saw him. Oh, pretty sweet face too, bud. One red oni to the old man's right said. They appreciated a nice lump. Something like that took years of work. Then, another oni whispered in the red oni's ear. He grinned and nodded. Oh yeah. The red one turned to the old man, eyebrow cocked. So, was the old man sure he was coming back? He wasn't just saying that, to kill time until sunrise. The old man turned to the oni. Uh, what? No, he would be back. Of course he would be back. He had an awesome time. Let's be sure you'll come back, the red oni said. 
and the old man immediately felt a blue oni grip his arms, immobilizing his hands. He couldn't do anything but squirm as he felt the red oni's claws on his face, on his lump. The oni got his palm around it and twisted. The old man winced, but then opened his eyes. The blue oni let him go, laughing. The man felt his face. For the first time since he was a boy, it was smooth. The demon had taken your lump. Look, it's not personal, but I know how long it takes to cultivate a good lump, the demon said, giving the orb of flesh in his hand a squeeze. So to get you to come back, I'm going to hold on to it as collateral. I'll keep it safe. I won't even use it. Though, once again, fantastic lump. The old man quickly grasped the situation. Oh, no. Not my glorious lump. I've been working on that since I was a boy. Oh, how could you? No, you you monster. The red only smiled. Yes, just as he thought. He said he knew this sounded like a hostage thing, but if he ever wanted to see his lump again, he would be here next week at sunset to dance the night away. All right, peace. But actually, no, not that, because I'm a demon. The old man stayed, practicing his best pouty face as he stroked his cheek until the parade of demons was out of earshot. Then he leapt up, grinning, and ran all the way home. The old man realized, after his time with the Oni, that living in fear was no way to live at all. He was no different before and after the lump. It was only his feelings about it that held him back. He saw what living without fear was like, and he liked it. He had spent 60-odd years hiding. Now, he was going to live. This is where his story ends, but another begins. The old man's friends all asked him about his miracle cure, and he told them that it was actually kind of the opposite, but yeah, it turns out that Oni get together in the woods and have wild parties and also maybe cannibalize each other. The people nodded, cool, cool, don't go into the woods, duly noted. But there was someone hanging off at the edge of the conversation, someone else who had a lump on his left cheek. And, like the original old man, he had lived his life in fear and self-consciousness. The bravery in the man's story was inspiring, and the results thrilling. He saw how our previous protagonist was like a new man, not really grasping his inspiring message about choosing to love yourself the way you are, instead holding on to the quick fix. The second old man knew what he must do. The next Saturday night, he took off for the forest. Tucked in the tree, the old man's heart was pounding. He could feel it in his ears when he heard the cacophony of a roving band make their way toward him. This was it. This was the night. The second old man waited. Following the original old man's story to the letter, he waited for the Oni to settle in, for the drinks to get flowing, for the music to start. Then, as one yelled out for firewood, the second old man took a deep breath. This was his time. He kicked the wood from the opening and yelled that it was time for him to get his groove on. The demons cheered. That guy, entering the exact same way he had last week. Awesome, why didn't we check the tree sooner? No matter, the party had arrived. 
Oni all around the second old man cheered. They had invited friends from far off. They had invited their family members. One guy brought his parents to see this amazing old human dance all night. And, uh, huh. One by one, the cheering died down until soon. The old man was standing at the center of the demon party, just doing the Elaine all by himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, look at me. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 hey, hey, guys, why the music stop? The old man asked. And then he grinned. It's okay. It's okay if you're self-conscious. I am good, but I am. I look at me as an inspiration, guys. Wh- wh- why are people leaving? It was then that the red oni stepped up to him. Look, last week I'll be real. Last week was magical. The red oni said, "Nice lump, by the way. I see you had a backup." This week, I, I don't know. Something's different about you. And and look, it. It's fine. It's really fine. Sometimes an experience is all the better because of its brevity. Let's just let last week be the amazing thing that it was, and all of us go our own separate ways. Let's not force anything that's not there anymore. Don't worry either. My buddies won't eat you. I I didn't even have to ask them not to. They wouldn't touch you now anyway, after that performance. (laughs) That good, huh? The second old man asked. The Red Oni laughed uncomfortably. Uh, something uh, like that. Hey, you do you. We'll always have last week. The second old man grabbed the red fur of the Oni's arm as it tried to leave. Uh, hey, the whole reason he came here? What about his lump? The Oni gasped. Oh, yeah, of course, my bad. The second old man closed his eyes, smiling and then he felt it hit him like a flesh snowball, right in the face. He opened his eyes, and the Oni was nodding. There you go. He got his lump back. A deal's a deal. The second old man was speechless, feeling his face, feeling lumps on both the left and right side now. No, 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 please! He tried chasing after the Oni, but after enough begging, the monster simply growled at him to back off and not ruin a good thing by trying to extend it more than it could take. Please. The old man was breaking his heart, and if he didn't stop, the Oni would break the old man's heart. With his teeth. Not being able to convince the Oni to take either of his lumps, the second old man just slumped his shoulders and walked back to town in the dark. The end. the story demonstrates, live without fear and always be yourself, but also maybe have some self-awareness if you really can't dance and decide to crash a demon dance party. On the next story, we'll meet an old man with an unconventional pet, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Who's daddy's good boy? Your daddy's good boy, the husband said with a smile. That's a bird. I can't understand you. Are you sure it's even a boy? Also, I hate it, the wife stated for the, like, 40th time that week. The couple was an elderly one who never had any children. The wife always thought that the husband blamed her for it. So when he took in a sparrow a few months back and nursed it back to health after finding it with a broken wing, and started treating it like a child, the years of resentment and feelings of inadequacy manifested themselves in hatred for the pet. It was kind of annoying, sure. It chirped all the time. And she didn't like him keeping it in the house. But he would sneak it and seeds in when she wasn't around. It was one of the many points of conflict between the elderly couple. It was wash day, and the husband was out working in the forest. It was a day the old woman hated anyway because it meant getting down on the floor and leaning over a low tub for hours. She just finished up getting some starch ready when she heard a flapping at the window. She glanced to her side. The sparrow. He was in the house. It might have been excruciating with her old bones and joints, but she did it. She lunged, and, hand outstretched, she caught the bird as it pecked at the starch. She grinned a sinister grin as she squeezed. The bird's chirps became strained and panicked. The woman shushed him. Oh, no, 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 she wouldn't kill him, but he needed to quiet down. Here, she would help him. She reached for a pair of scissors, held open the bird's tiny beak, and, with a clip, snipped his tongue. With that, the bird found the strength to free itself. It flapped off into the forest, leaving a trail of blood from the home to which it would never return. Hey honey, uh, your laundry is drying, I caught your bird today and cut out its tongue, and dinner will be on the table soon, the wife said as she hung up the laundry. What? The husband blurted as he looked at the feathers and the blood in the house. Dinner will be on the table soon? It's rice. Again, she said, 
No, the other thing. Oh yeah, it was laundry day. If you wanted something washed, you should have put it in the hamper. No, the bird, he screamed. Oh yeah, I caught it and slowly mutilated it. And that's what I told you I'd do to it if I caught it. I say that like every morning. Good morning. If I catch your bird, I'm going to slowly and methodically mutilate it, she said nonchalantly. Like her daily threats against his pets, the husband was so distraught, he didn't hear that sentence either and rushed from the house, calling his bird by name as he ran through the forest. He would search until dark and then every day for the next week before giving up. His bird friend was lost. Hey, buddy, the old man heard one day when he was out working. He jumped. He didn't hear too many voices out here in the forest. And he looked around. Up here, in the trees. It's me, Daddy's good boy. The old man looked up. It, it was his pet sparrow. The man scooped up the bird and hugged him close. It was him. He survived. And how long could he talk? Pretty much always, the bird said with a nod. Oh, and how did you recover from my wife cutting out your tongue? Story doesn't say, the bird replied. Okay, the man said. The two stood there awkwardly for a few seconds. Hey, you want to come see my house? The sparrow asked the old man. The man shrugged. Sure, be fun to visit his buddy's home. Like a little hole in a tree or some little wooden thing. Let's go. Wow, this... This is way nicer than my house, the old man said, settling into the bird's home when he finally arrived. He was sitting on a human-sized velvet chair the birds had in their tiny bird mansion. How do you guys have a full-sized velvet chair in your mansion and a water feature and bamboo garden and also a mansion, the old man asked. Story doesn't say, the bird replied. Would the old man like more slices of sugar jelly, pieces of rock candy, sweet potato custard, or hot starch? The man nodded. All of them, please. Mrs. Sparrow, the bird's wife, smiled as she approached the old man. So this was the husband's kind friend with the borderline sociopathic wife. She paused and put her wing to her mouth. Oh my goodness, she was so sorry. Only borderline, the old man said. They all laughed. But really, the mutilating small animals thing was new and very troubling. The two smaller sparrows, Mr. Sparrow's daughters, wheeled a cup over. Miss Suzumi, one of the daughters, bowed low, presented what amounted to a bathtub full of tea to the old man, who drained several of them over the course of the day. Finally, when he was pressed, he said that yes... Sure, he would do it. He would stay the night. He spent five days with his friend as a guest, sleeping on silken cushions, drinking wine, and listening to Mrs. Sparrow play the guitar, with wings and without fingers, while Mr. Sparrow danced with his daughters. The old man couldn't dance without going full Godzilla on their big-for-a-bird mansion house, so he just relaxed and forgot his cares. Other sparrows came over the course of his stay, to meet the famous human who rescued birds. Still, though the old man enjoyed staying with his friend, he didn't want to wear out his welcome or completely drain the little guy's food supplies as a human in a house meant for birds. 
He told the little bird that it had been fun, but he should be going now. He had obligations to his wife and promises to keep, but he was glad to know his old friend was happy and healthy. The old man would never forget his time here. The bird whistled, and out front of his bird mansion, the family scooted two rattan baskets. The old man couldn't see inside them, but one was large and the other small. The sparrow begged the old man to please choose a parting gift. The old man moved both baskets and saw that the bigger one was heavy and the smaller one was light. Since he was old and he had a long way home, he picked up the lighter basket and strapped it to his back. He thanked Mrs. Sparrow and the daughters for a wonderful time. Then he turned to the sparrow with a smile. Hey, who's daddy's good boy? The bird smiled. I am, he chirped. The old man patted the bird on the back and made his way off into the forest. So that bird I helped to heal and you mutilated? Turns out he has a family and lives in the sweet bird mansion. He has a tiny waterfall and bamboo garden. I mean, like an all-you-can-eat buffet every day. It's up in the mountain, the old man said, as he explained every delicious, relaxing detail of the almost week they spent apart. The wife pointed to the pack on his back. He said, oh, oh that? Uh, probably nothing big. It's just a parting gift from the birds. He popped off the lid and emptied it onto the table and the floor and outside a little. When the box finally stopped pouring stuff out onto the ground, it left a pile of gold and silver coins, gems, coral, crystals, amber, a never-failing bag of money, an invisible cloak and hat, rolls of books, and all manner of precious things as if they hadn't just detailed a near-exhaustive list. The man was awestruck, but his wife rose, smiling for the first time in... Had he ever seen her smile? She wasn't smiling for the life-changing wealth and sweet Harry Potter garments on the floor, but because up in the mountains, according to the old man's story, there was another bigger box with the birds. She put on her nice clothes, bound her straw sandals, and announced that she was going out. The husband was too speechless from the wealth to reply. Wait, is that? Mrs. Sparrow started when she saw the wife approach up the side of the mountain. Take the girls inside, Mr. Sparrow asked his wife. He would handle it, don't worry. He met the wife in front, in the garden, with a cup of tea, that while the story doesn't say it had copious amounts of sparrow spit in it, it absolutely had copious amounts of sparrow spit in it. Sidebar, don't let things prepare food and drink for you after cutting out their tongues. Better yet, don't cut out creatures' tongues. She smiled and said no hard feelings about the mutilation thing, right? He did annoy her slightly and peck at her starch that one time, so he, he was basically asking for it. The bird blinked. Did she want more tea? The wife kept trying to get him around to offering the bigger bird box, but the bird barely said any more than his politeness dictated. Tired of honey the old woman decided to try a little vinegar. She sat back, looking at the house before her. Hmm. Nice bird mansion you got here. 
be a shame if someone went full Godzilla on it, the wife said, and sipped her tea. Haven't you done enough? Mrs. Sparrow shouted from the back, inside the house, but Mr. Sparrow held up a wing. He looked to the human. It was getting late. How could he help her be on her way? How about you give me that parting gift, and we call it even? The Sparrow smiled. Was that all? The woman struggled under the weight of the larger box all the way home. Still, totally worth it. Now she didn't need that horrible husband of hers who worked hard and was kind to animals. What a chump. She made it to the clearing not far from her house when, sweating, she set the rattan basket down. Now to take a quick peek at all of her wealth. As soon as she cracked the lid, a slimy, sticky form shot from the box and attached itself to her face. She barely got the cuttlefish off, flinging it into the forest before she suffocated. When she could see again, she shrieked. An oni, a skeleton, and a long, hairy serpent were in front of her. The oni grinned, snapping his tusks, before he gripped her around her arms. The woman shrieked, how did all of you fit in a box? The oni shrugged. Story doesn't say. Skeleton, he yelled out. Get to poking. This part was kind of weird because in one version, it just says that the skeleton poked his bony fingers on her face, which I just picture a skeleton just poke, poke, poking an old woman on the face half a dozen times before getting bored. And he and his oni buddy high five and wander off into the forest. One version says that the skeleton poked his bony fingers in her face though, which is considerably more horrifying. They tossed her back and she panted thankful to be out of that weird face-poking thing. And then she turned to see the final monster, the hairy serpent. Now, I grimaced and googled hairy serpent, and thankfully, it's a snake. That probably wasn't what the old woman was saying, as the serpent coiled around her and, quote, squeezed the life and breath from her body. said that the husband found the wife and did give her a proper burial, seeing the rattan basket and knowing her better than anyone, kind of guessing that she overplayed her hand, got too greedy, and paid for it with her life. Despite everything, he loved her and hoped that she finally found peace. As for him, well, he never had to work again, adopted a child, and together they lived in leisure and ease for the rest of their days. The moral of the story is that greed only leads to your own demise, which, I mean, would be nice if it was the case, but the world is and always has been full of outrageously greedy people who are absolutely thriving, but maybe they just aren't tacky enough to cut out the tongue of an animal and the demand presence from said animal. Next week, it's the inspiration for Shakespeare's Hamlet, the story of Amleth, and yes, Shakespeare did just move the H at the end of the word Amleth to the beginning to make one of his most famous characters. It might not have as many deaths as Shakespeare, but the main character smears way more poop on his clothes. If you'd like to support the show, for less than the price of a unique flavored soda pack, a six-pack of sodas that include such flavors as sweet corn, buffalo wings, and pumpkin pie, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show. 
that aren't like a rare Willy Wonka misfire, where he wanted to see what carbonated ranch dressing tasted like. You can find more info on the membership at support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the Guayipin from Mapuche folklore in Chile and Argentina. There are two versions of this creature, and neither of them are good. The first is a sheep with a calf's head, twisted legs, and ugly fur, said to be the result of breeding a sheep with a malformed calf, which people would do for some reason. The thing is a bad omen, which, yeah, if you're intentionally breeding sickly, malformed animals, that might not be great. It's a land animal that was comprised of land animals breeding on land, so of course it's completely harmless on land and extremely powerful and deadly in the water. At least, the sources say he's completely harmless on land. He's not, though, because the creature is of particular threat to pregnant women, because if they see one or dream of one three nights in a row, their child could be born with congenital issues and could turn into one of these creatures themselves because pregnant women don't have enough to be stressed about. The other version is kind of like the first, but its chimerical nonsense is not limited to calves and sheep, but more like a horrifying mix and match of dangerous animals. This one is a shape-shifting revenant, so the vengeful undead, and also a vampire. It doesn't just drink blood, though. It also loves the chase, and feeds off fear, too, running down a person for hours to keep them terrified before finally mercifully, violently exsanguinating them. If you're wondering how you can defeat this monster, you can't. Actually, the sheep one should be pretty easy, but not the vampire one, sorry. Amachi, a female shaman, and her familiar can ward them off, but they can't destroy them. In fact, nothing can destroy them, except the gods. I'm not sure how responsive the Mapuchin deities are. Hopefully very, but you need to be pretty reliant on them if Salem's lot happens and an evil vampire comes to town. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.